welcome back to Carter Grader for Teens. I'm Bia, and for those of you who don't know, Carter Grader for Teens is a place where teens can come together with other teens to learn about spiritist teachings and topics in a way that makes more sense to us and that we can relate to personally. While reading the spirits book together, last week we left off, we've been talking about in the chapter, talking about the return to spirit life for a while, and in that chapter, we just started the part about childhood, and that's where we started off. That's where we started at the end of last week, so that's where we'll continue off today. So let's pick up right where we left off. Question 381. With the death of, a, of the child, does the spirit immediately regain its former vigor? The spirit said, It should, since it has been disencumbered from its physical envelope. Nevertheless, it does not regain its former lucidity until the separation is complete. That is, until there is no connection between the spirit and the body at all. So the question was asking, so when a child dies, does the spirit immediately gain its former vigor? And if you look up the definition of vigor, it means strength and good health. So we're talking about, so does, right after the child dies, does the spirit gain all that good health and strength that it had when it was just in the spirit world? And the spirit said that, yeah, it should, because it disconnected from the physical body. But this does not happen, they're saying, until it's completely disconnected, until the body and the spirit are completely separated. Question 382. Does the incarnate spirit suffer from the constraint imposed by the imperfect it by the imperfection of its organs during childhood. So during childhood, since the organs aren't fully developed, this is what the question is saying, since the organs aren't fully developed, they're asking, does the incarnate spirit suffer because it's not fully developed, because the, the body isn't completely developed yet? Is the spirit suffering? And the spirit said, no. Childhood is a necessity. It is natural and corresponds to, to the design of providence. It is a time of repose for the spirit. So they're saying, the spirits are saying here that no, in childhood, the spirits don't suffer because just because the organs aren't completely ready yet doesn't mean that the spirit is suffering because they have to go through this. And it's while this transformation is happening, the spirit is like settling in. It's like if it's moving to a new house, it's settling in. And it's figuring out where everything is, where everything goes, and it's getting ready. And then eventually, then like, then you're used to the house, and now it's just your house. And you don't have to remember where you put things, because you know exactly where they are. So childhood is just this progression. It's just this transition of moving from one place to another, let's say. But it's a necessity, and it happens to all of us, and the spirit is in suffering when this happens. Question 383. What is the usefulness of a spirit having to go through childhood? So they're saying, so why is this useful to have this childhood? And the spirit said, A spirit incarnates in order to perfect itself. During childhood, it is more accessible to the impressions it receives, and which may assign it in its progress. Persons in charge of its education should contribute towards this goal. So what they're saying here is that, so spirits, all of us, we're trying to 
become perfect. We're trying to get to that state of perfection. So during childhood is when you are able to change the most and learn the most and you become really a people the people around you influence you a lot so that's why they're saying here that the people who are in charge of educating you they're also working to this goal to trying to make you perfect trying to get you to this perfection because childhood is the easiest place to help correct some mistakes and to help you guide you in the right direction so that you can work towards this goal of perfection question 384 why are a child's first impressions those of crying? So why is when a child born, why do they cry? And the spirit said, To incite the mother's interest and ensure the care it needs. You don't understand that if it only expresses joy while still unable to speak, few would be concerned about its needs. Therefore, you ought to admire the wisdom of providence in everything. So, why is it that children cry and why is that the first thing they do why do they cry before they know how to talk so he says so the spirit said it's to get the mother interested because think about it if you needed food but if you just sat there and you sat there and you sat there no one really no one would really worry about you because you just sat there and you were happy all the time so people would forget to change you and they forget to feed you but but when you but when the baby cries when the child cries then people pay attention and they help. Especially since you can't express yourself and you can't speak yet. Question 385. What is the reason for the change that occurs in its character at a certain age, particularly upon leaving adolescence? Is it the, is it the spirit that changes? So they're saying here, so why is it that the character of the spirit, not the spirit, the character changes at a certain age so they're saying is it the spirit that's changing like say when you're when you're leaving adolescence when you're leaving being a teenager so why is this there why is there this change in character when you turn a certain age and the spirit says it is because the spirit recaptures its true nature and reveals who it really was prior to its present incarnation you do not know the secrets that children conceal behind their innocence. You do not know what they are, what they have been, or what they will be. Nevertheless, you love and cherish them as though they were a part of you. This happens to such a degree that the love of a mother for her child is reputed to be the greatest love that one being may have for another. Why do even strangers feel sweet affection and display tender belovedness towards a child. Do you know? No? Well, I will explain it to you. So this answer goes on for a few paragraphs, so we'll split it up here and talk about what it said so far. So they're saying that once the spirit reaches a certain age, especially when they're like done growing, then the spirit, it's getting its true nature. It's remembering kind of parts of its spirit life and who it was before not exactly like oh i had this life and i did this and this and this but the memories of those things like subtle impulses and instincts that you have are coming back to you and because that and that's what they're saying here that see children have secrets and they're kind of all covered by this innocence because they haven't learned yet they don't know yet 
But then when that innocence kind of fades and now you know more things, then that those memories and those instincts are coming back to you. Then the spirits continue. Children are children are beings whom God has sent into a new existence, so that God is not accused of excessive servility. God gives them all appearances of innocence. Even in children of an evil nature, their misdeeds are covered up because they are unaware of the quality of their actions. However, this innocent does not truly reflect the state of advancement in relations to what they previously were. In reality, it is a picture of what they ought to be, and if they are not, the blame falls on them alone. So they're kind of saying here that, to be fair, God makes all the children seem innocent and kind so that they have this chance to grow and to learn and to get, like we were saying before, to get guided on the direction for perfection. So all the children are given this chance so that they can be educated and go towards the right path. Even if in their past they were very evil and they did lots of bad things, hopefully they're getting the education to kind of start pushing them into the right direction. So it's kind of helping the spirit to show what the spirit should be doing and how it should behave. And if they don't behave like that, then it's really their fault because other people were trying to help them and they were supposed to grow and try and develop what they were learning. But if they don't, then that blame falls on them. And then the spirits continue. Nevertheless, it is not, it is not merely for the children's sake that God give them such an appearance. It is also, and especially for their parents, whose love is necessary in their fragility. Such love would be extraordinarily weakened if the parents were faced with the quarrelsome and bad-tempered character. On the other hand, suppose their child to be good and gentle. Parents give them all their affection and surround them with the tenderest care. However, when children no longer need the protection and assistance, that has been given to them for 15 or 20 years, their true and individual character emerges in all its nakedness. Their character remains good if it was fundamentally good in the first place, but it will always display nuisances that were hiding during early childhood. So they're saying that, but just like we were saying before, how it might have been for the child's sake for them to be all seemed innocent so that they can be on the right track, it's also for the parents. Because if since day one, the child is terrible and, and bad and doing wrong things, then the parents might not feel their, the strength and their love would be weakened. So when the children are good and gentle and they're adorable and everyone has this passion and this love towards them and it helps the it helps the parents to help the child to get in this right direction. But then they can the parents can only guide the child so far that eventually the child has to start making its own decisions and living its own life. And that's when these remembrances of the past come back. And we're saying it's not like specifically, oh, in the past I did this and this and this. But your tendencies and what your instincts are telling you to do go back to the spirit, not just only what the parents are saying. And then the spirits continue. You can see that God's ways are always the best, 
and that when one has a pure heart, they are easily explained. In fact, ponder the possibility that the spirit of the child who was born among you may have come from a world on which it has acquired altogether different habits. How would you want this new be being to remain in your midst with passions so diverse from yours, inclinations and tastes entirely opposite to yours? How would you want it to incorporate itself into your environment except in the way God wanted it to? That is, after having experienced the sieve of childhood. In this phase, in this phase are mixed all the thoughts, all the characteristics, and all the vari the varieties of being generated of beings generated by that multitude of work on which individuals develop. Upon dying, you yourself will be will also be in a sort of childhood in the midst of new family members. In your new non-terrestrial existence, you will be ignorant of the habits, the customs, and the form of relationships of that world, and you will have difficulty in managing a language you are not used to speaking, a language more alive than you thought is today. So here they're kind of giving us an example to think about. So think about if this spirit is coming from a completely different world where they did completely different things and had completely different habits and everything was completely different. If the, the spirit didn't have this childhood, this time to adapt, to learn the things of this culture, of this family, of this world that it was on, if it, if it didn't have this, it would be really difficult for the spirit to just jump into a new place and have to have to deal with all this change all these changes all at once and they are also comparing that when you when you're dying and you're going back to the spirit world this childhood almost happens again because all these family members that you have in the spirit world you didn't see them for a while so now it's like you're having all this new family members again and a new language and so they're kind of showing how it kind of happens going the opposite way to, as well. And then the spirits continue. Childhood provides yet another purpose. Spirits only enter corporeal life in order to improve and purify themselves. The fragility of the early years render them flexible and accessible to the counsel of experience and to those who should aid their progress. That is the time when one can best reform their character and curb their evil tendencies. Such is the duty that God entrusts to parents, a sacred mission for which they will have to answer. So here we're going back to the part that the spirit is working to improve itself, to get better. And in childhood, it's the best, it's the easiest time to kind of change someone's, someone's thoughts, change someone's instincts. So if you're more inclined to do evil things, during childhood is when you'll be able to really engrave it in their brains. Okay, you do the right thing, do this, do this, do this, and kind of lean them towards the path to get to that perfection. And this is not on the spirit, but this is also a big mission for the parents. The parents have this mission to educate the child in the early years so that, it, so that the spirit can improve itself and really try and get better. 
and then the spirits continue. Consequently, childhood is not only useful, necessary, and indispensable, but it is also the natural result of the laws that God has established and which govern the universe. So here they concluded by saying that childhood, it's useful, it's necessary, it's indispensable, but also it's the laws that God made that we have to, we're born, then we go through these phases, we go through childhood, then we go to adulthood. So this is, these, this is God's law which govern the universe. And now that's the end of the section about childhood. And now we're moving on to the next part, which is called earthly sympathies and antipathies. And when they're saying sympathies in this case, they mean having like the same vibration, having the same connection, having the same feeling towards one another. So being in harmony or in agreement. And antipathies would be the opposite, would be having different feelings, not in the same harmony, not in the same vibration. Question 386. Could two individuals who have already known and love each other meet in another corporeal existence and recognize each other? So these spirits in one life, they, they knew each other, they loved each other, then they, can they come back in another life and recognize each other and be like, hey, I know you? And the spirit said, recognize each other, no. Feel attracted to each other, yes. Frequently, intimate connections found on sincere affections arise from no other cause. Two individuals are drawn together by apparent fortitude circumstances, but it is actually the result of the attraction of the two spirits who have been searching for each other amidst the crowds. So here they're saying that they're not going to recognize each other. They're not going to be like, oh, hey, I know I know you from a past life and I know that we used to love each other. They're not going to say that, but they will feel this attraction to each other because they're going to be in the same harmony. They're, without knowing it, they're looking for each other. And that's what they're saying, that this connections between people almost always happen because they knew each other in a previous life and they had this vibration, they have this connection. So without really knowing it, they kind of gravitated towards each other. They kind of searched for each other. And then there's the second part to this question, and it says, wouldn't they find great pleasure in being able to recognize each other? So wouldn't they be really happy if they were like, oh, I remember, I loved you and all that. And the spirit said, not always. The memory of past lives might hold greater disadvantages than you suppose. After death, they will recognize each other and will remember the time they spent together. So they're saying that it wouldn't always, that sometimes we think that it would be really great if we remembered, oh, in my past life I did this and this and this, and it would be easier to make up for your mistakes or easier to find people or easy to get along. Or There's so many things that we think that, oh, it would be great if we knew everything about our past lives, but there's a reason that we don't know it, and sometimes it's at a disadvantage. Sometimes because of something we know, we can't move on, we can't improve. So sometimes it's more of a disadvantage than we think, and it's not always the best thing to remember everything. Question 387. Is sympathy always the result of their having known each other previously? The spirit said, no. 
Two spirits who have affinities naturally search for each other without their having been priv previously acquainted as increments. So what they're saying here is that the question was saying is sympathy. So this attraction to each other, is it always because they knew each other in the past? So, oh, in my past life, I knew you. So now I'm attracted to you and I have this sympathy with you because we knew each other. And the spirit said, no, that the spirits can have affinity. They could be attracted to each other without having actually met before. But maybe it's because their char characteristics are really similar or their vibrations or their harmony. Something about them is really similar. So they're being attracted to each other. And maybe this is the first time they're meeting. Question 388. Wouldn't the encounter which sometimes occur between certain persons and which are attributed to chance be the effect of a kind of sympathetic relationship? So they're saying sometimes when people just run into each other and they meet each other and it seems like completely out of the blue, but they get along well, could it be an effect of these sympathetic relationships of having the same harmony, having the same kind of thoughts, vibrations? And the spirit said, Among thinking beings, there are connections that you do not know anything about. Magnetism is at the core of the science, which you will later comprehend better. So they're saying that right now, thinking is one of our connections, but they're saying there's many other connections that we don't know about yet. And like they said, right now, like magnetism, we don't have the knowledge of this right now, and we're not really ready for it. We won't really understand it right now. So later on, we will comprehend more about this connection and other connections besides just thinking. Question 389. Where does the instinctive repulsion come from where certain individuals meet each other for the first time? So now they're asking the opposite. They're asking, so how about when people meet each other for the first time and they hate each other, they despise each other. So what about then? And the spirit said, they are empathetic spirits who perceive and recognize each other without ever having spoken to each other. So they're spirits in different vibrations. They're not in the same harmony. They're, they have completely different thoughts, completely different vibrations. And without really talking or even knowing the person, they can already feel that they're at different levels and that they're not working together well. Question 390. Is instinctive antipathy always a sign of an evil nature? So when you instinctively don't get along with someone, is it always evil? And the spirit said, Two spirits are not necessarily evil just because they are not sympathetic. Antipathy may originate from a dissimilitary in the way of thinking. As they evolve, however, these shades of dissimilarity are erased and the antipathy antipathies disappear. So just because they don't get along doesn't mean that they're evil. And it may just arise from that they don't think the same way, so they don't get along as well. Or they're just not similar in character, so they don't get along as well. So that's where we'll leave off today, and we'll finish talking about the sympathies and the antipathies next week. But before we leave off today, I'd like to read our message from the Daily Book of Positive Quotations for today's date, 
August 22nd. This one's titled, Today. Yesterday is ashes, tomorrow wood. Only today does the fire burn brightly. We are here, right now, in the middle of today. We have many wonderful memories of the past, and we have hopes for what will happen in the future. But today, we are living. I will not let today slip, slip by without living it as fully as I can. If you all have any questions for me at all, or any comments, suggestions, anything at all, please feel free to email me at cardiacradioforteens at gmail.com, and I'll get back to you right away. Obsession. A true story. The unfolding of a very complex process of obsession, with its main roots planted deep in the mysterious soil of past incarnations, with many implications projected into the future of those involved. Hello everyone and welcome once again to another chapter of the book Obsession by the Spirit Manuel Filomena de Miranda, psychographed by Devaldo Franco. This chapter, chapter 6, enlightens us to understand the conflicting forces that exist in all good works. For as in doing the good works we will inevitably encounter, as this chapter reminds us, forces which go against that which try to dissuade us, which try to prevent us, which try to block us from doing good works. It also shows us how many people who think they're doing good are actually being influenced by forces which are not for the good. And it also helps us to understand the difference between what many people practice as religion and what really is following in the life or following the way of Jesus. And so in this chapter, we learn much about living the life of the gospel, following the footsteps of Jesus. And so with that in mind, let us begin with an opening prayer. Dear Mother, Father, God, thank you so much for this opportunity once again to commune with God to follow the pathway of Jesus, to understand the path that he gives us to live our lives so that we can become useful servants of Jesus, to understand and to follow the compassion that he gave, that he presented to us, to understand the love that he has for everyone, to try to model our lives to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let us open our hearts now and begin to understand what it means to really commune with Jesus, to really commune with the good spirits, to really begin a blessed journey together with others to follow in the footsteps of fraternity and charity. 
and so be it. Let's begin our reading of chapter 6. Chapter 6, Conflicting Forces Go you, therefore, and teach all nations. With you are higher spirits. You will certainly be speaking to persons who shall not want to listen to God's voice, because that voice exhorts them to abnegation. You shall teach unselfishness to the greedy, abstinence to the dissolute, gentleness to the home tyrants and to the despot as well. Lost words, I know, but it does not matter. You have to irrigate the soil you have to sow with your own sweat, since it shall not bear fruits and shall not produce anything if not by repeated movements of the evangelical hoe in the plow. Go you, therefore, and teach all nations. Gospel according to Spiritism, chapter 20, item 4. In spite of his high moral standards, Colonel Santa Maria was a temperamental man. As well as a sense of duty, he had great pride underlying all his decisions and attitudes. Nevertheless, he could be considered honest and fair. Esther's disease had dimmed his enthusiasm and thwarted his aspirations as a father. Bitterness drove happiness away, pushing him down to the dark alleys of revolt against everything and everybody. Unable to identify the real causes of his difficulties, and without hope of removing them, he moved around blindly, hoping to get some relief to be able to endure the common hardships of life. After a time, he withdrew into himself, limiting his social activities to a small circle of close friends, seldom leaving the house. Such self-imposed seclusion made things even worse to bear. A nominal member of a church, he had not the benefit of true faith. Since he had not experienced much suffering in his past, he had not acquired the habit of communion with God in the spirit world through prayer and meditation. He had always been satisfied with the mere performance of mechanical rituals. In the first stage of his ordeal, he had resorted to God in tentative prayer, but had been a rather thinly disguised imposition, lacking the crown of true humility and confidence in divine power. The outcome of such experience was, therefore, disappointment. His prayer, devoid of any spiritual meaning, had been unable to comfort him. It had just been a string of words carrying neither love nor faith in them. Religion for him was only a label for social purposes. Considering himself worthy of God's favors, he inverted the natural order of things. God should come to him, not he go to God. Unfortunately, he had the complicity of the clergy in developing such a distorted view, for the clergy are always ready to twist the teachings of Jesus to please the powerful ones in the world, to whom they submit themselves driven by their own lust for power. This is why the colonel had classified Rosangela's behavior as impertinence. Blinded by pride and by his persistent negative attitude, he began to tune in with the revolted discarnate minds that were harassing his home as part of the context created by Esther's obsessor. Rosangela, who had acted as a channel for divine help, had actually been driven out of the Santa Maria's home through the influence of vindictive discarnate entities also present at the meeting. Deeply hurt in his foolish pride, and under the influence of his discarnate enemies, 
The colonel went over to the hospital the next day to complain about the nurse. He demanded that no contact between her and his daughter be allowed, and suggested a severe reproach to the girl as a warning. Should a similar fault be repeated, she should be fired summarily. Since her presence, he had said, meant a great risk for the patients. Rosangela left the Santa Maria's luxurious apartment that Sunday, feeling a little confused. She was brought back into reality by the beautiful scenery of the gay nature around her. At first she was scared, and the possibility of losing her job seemed to be a total disaster. She strode aimlessly for some time along Copacabana Beach, then walked to a bench by the sea and sat down to think the matter over. On the crowded beach, she was able to detach from the cheerful noise around and withdraw into her inner self, tuning in with her guides. In a soft prayer, she abandoned herself to the consolations of communion with the higher planes of life. This was enough to calm her down. When she felt recovered, she walked home, and once there, she decided to postpone discussing the outcome of her meeting with the Santa Marias. Dr. Gavan de Albuquerque was a successful pediatrician. He was now over 50 and had raised a happy family. His wife, Matilda, set an example of true Christian charity. Their home became a nucleus for spiritual communion. There, spirit messengers from higher spheres found appropriate conditions for their noble task of helping the suffering, both incarnate and discarnate. The Albuquerque's only daughter, Marcia, was married and had a child of her own named Carmen Silvia. The two families lived together because Dr. Albuquerque had so wished. Rosangela had gone to their home to look after Marcia's baby. Later, however, the young couple went to the United States, where Marcia's husband was to take a postgraduate course. They took the child along, and Rosangela, having made the Albuquerque's house her home, stayed with the family. It was then that Dr. Albuquerque had found her a place as an assistant nurse at the hospital. Sunday was the day the Albuquerque set aside for the study of the gospel, with a small group of friends who joined them at their home for that purpose. In the regular practice of spiritism, the family had developed a moral and psychic sensitivity, which they had put to good use working for the welfare of their fellow men. Their spiritual duties, freely accepted, were attended to with seriousness and optimism. They had long abandoned the regular social vices, which are apparently innocent, but actually quite harmful. Instead, they would rather read a good book, entertain a sound conversation, or carry on friendly discussions with a sense of humor. This helped them to relax from daily activities. The Albuquerque's home had been so converted into a sanctuary where spiritism was a blessing in disguise typifying an ideal Christian family. Their weekly home prayer meeting, a natural consequence of their faith, was carried on with great joy and sustaining hope. Sweet classical music predisposed the participants to meditation and prayer, helping them to ease their tribulations, to detach themselves from their problems, and to get rid of negative vibrations. The group consisted of 12 to 15 people as regular participants, all of them interested in inner reform and self-illumination. At 8 p.m., they gathered around the table under the supervision of Dr. Albuquerque, who usually conducted the meeting. Rosangela felt a little distressed that particular night, 
Nobody had forced her into an explanation. Freedom and confidence were sacred rules in that home, determining a perfect understanding of one's duties and rights. Nothing was imposed. Since she had not brought the matter of her visit to the Santa Marias up on her own accord, nobody asked her anything. After the opening prayer by Dr. Albuquerque, Donna Matilda, unconsciously directed by the Invisible Spirit Friends, opened the Gospel according to Spiritism at random. The open page showed chapter 20, entitled, The Laborers of the Eleventh Hour. There was a spirit message addressed to the Lord's laborers. The title words brought a little smile on every face, for they felt the words were meant to encourage them to face the cares and toils that awaited them in the future. In a well-modulated voice carrying the sound emotion of her heart, Mrs. Albuquerque read the entire text which had been dictated by Alan Kardec by the Spirit of Truth in Paris in 1862. The time has come, she read, when all things announced shall come to pass for the transformation of mankind. Happy shall be those who have labored at the fields of the Lord with no other purpose in mind than charity. Their work days shall be paid one hundred times over. Happy shall be those who would have said to their brothers, Let us toil together. Let us put our efforts together so that when the Lord comes, he finds the task well done. And the Lord shall say unto them, Come to me, you all who are such good workers, you who know how to silence your own disputes and your strife so that no harm should be done to the work. She finished reading the message, which would now be fully discussed. One by one, those who so wished would comment upon the words just read. The lessons contained in the message were applied to their personal needs and aspirations. Many other aspects of Kardec's teachings were brought to their attention if relevant to the subject under discussion. This was particularly true of the Spirit's book. A cheerful quietness filled the air. The higher spirits present at the meeting fraternized with their incarnate brethren, getting ready for future commitments. After a few more minutes of prayer and concentration, sending fraternal vibrations to the sick, inmates of prisons, and to suffering people in general, there was a natural pause. They all could feel the vibrations of their spirit friends who had come to help and instruct them. Then, through the phenomenon known in Brazilian spiritist circles as psychophony, the word spiritism uses for the phenomenon in which the communicating spirit speaks through a medium, in some cases known as prophecy in the Bible. Dr. Becerra de Menezes, a beloved discarnate mentor from the higher spheres, took control of the medium Rosangela and delivered the following important message. As the imperfect workers we recognize ourselves to be, we are farmers in the field where our foolishness has planted weeds, desolation and ruins everywhere, gardens conquered by dense thickets, orchards destroyed by storms, scorched grounds, torn down fences, fountains contaminated by decay and infested by poisonous swamps of life. Yet it is also the field of our work for redemption where we must start again. So we have this piece of land our carelessness once spoiled. Now we must concentrate the best resources we have at our disposal to revitalize it.
while we still have the opportunity. This is why we must consider, in all its depthness, the evangelical teaching contained in the expression, Go you into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16.15 But we must also teach with the example of our own deeds, marching on with our hands enriched by good works. The result of our efforts shall stand for the excellence of our intentions. There is not much time, and it would not be proper to waste what time we have in fruitless arguments raised by intellectual vanity, which inflates fatuity and arrogance, while moral and social epidemic diseases spread out infecting and destroying heedless multitudes and countless people which have become enslaved by them. The gospel is our inspiration for love, but it is also our measuring stick. Those who exalt themselves start on the downward path. Those who glorify themselves are but lulled by illusion. However, the untiring walker, ignored but always serving, humiliated yet courageous, persecuted but undisturbed, converting his sentiments into channels of love, will meet the highest success. No complaints, therefore, no recitation of a list of sorrows. Our mental time must be used in the elaboration of important and continuous projects of service. Jesus is our model for the ideal worker. He was neither spared nor understood. However, he developed a code of happiness and lived according to it. And this code is the heritage he left us to guide us along our redeeming efforts. Sorrows and trials will certainly come to us since they are precisely what we deserve. We shall taste their bitterness. They are the price we must pay for the honor and glory of service. Nobody will ever reach the summit of peace without going through the agonies in the valley of struggles of earthly life. We must persevere and persist. He paused while the group pondered over his words, letting them sink into their souls. Little fluidic drops hovered in the air like a divine penetrating mist. Bezerra then proceeded. We are called to the task of restoring the original Christian purity living according to the teachings of the Gospels. We accepted from higher instructors the responsibility to value and respect the opportunity we consider as a heavenly concession, and we promised to be docile to the inspiration from them so that we might accomplish our task, which was more than once interrupted in the past. We have agreed to give up our lives, if necessary, for the implantation of the comforter in the troubled world of today. For that we receive continuous support from the higher spheres. Nothing has been spared to help us in our work. We have known agony and misery very well, but we have also tasted hope and smelt the perfume of joy. What else are we waiting for? 
We have been informed that our struggle will be between two disputing powers, good and evil. We are right in the middle of the arena. The skirmish is our resting place, difficulty our challenge, and suffering our badge of honor. The determined new Christians will have to fight for a long while yet. In the past, the field of action demanded a momentary stoicism. Today it is different. The circus's limits are now wider and spread out over an enormous area, and the wild beast, our passions, will try their best in a mass killing, hurting from the inside out. We must fear nothing. Many times our past crimes will rise before us converted into the unavoidable need for reparation, or as an open wound, a mental imbalance, or like a relentless whip, or yet in the form of an afflicting anxiety. If we plunge our minds and worries into the purifying waters of the gospel and set out our hands to work, there will be no occasion for despair, accommodation, and self-pity or temptation to run away. We live by dying, and in the very act of dying we are living. Each noble realization is a reason for happiness, every fear a shadow in the darkness of our problems. So there is no alternative but to serve unceasingly and to trust without hesitation. Jesus will do whatever we find beyond our ability to accomplish trusting that the final victory will be his. Let us rejoice and let us forge ahead. May his love come into us and may his mercy reach us. I am your ever most humble servant, Bezerra. Emotion brought tears to many eyes and the meeting was ended amidst prayers and hopes for the coming future. Dear friends, this episode, Conflicting Forces, does give us a lot to think about, so let us break it down together. First off, we see, on the one hand, the Santa Marias and their relationship with God is portrayed in much detail for our own meditation, learning, and growth. Let's take them into consideration now. The Santa Marias, according to the spirit Manuel Filomeno de Miranda, never really learned to commune with God. What does it mean to commune with God? It means to open our hearts to God, accept God's presence, and be open to communicating with God knowing that God knows more than us, loves more than us, is more capable than us, and is all love towards us and everyone else. We learn through the reading of the chapter tonight that the Santa Marias rather prefer to bargain with God, that is to see God as a, an entity with whom they could exchange favors. So, from their point of view, God should come to them and serve them and answer them 
and be open to provide for their needs alone. God is the one that should come down to their level, not otherwise. What we learn through our beautiful Spiritist philosophy, however, is that Jesus and illuminated spirits always invite us to feel the scriptures, that is to feel our thoughts, our words, our intentions towards God and one another. Prayer it becomes a communion with God when there is more than just a set of words being spoken, when those set of words are beautifully colored by deep honesty, deep feelings, and a sense of intimacy in the most fraternal and loving way possible. The Santa Marias, of course, are destined to be pure spirits one day, just like us, but just like us as well, they are still taking the steps that are necessary towards their spiritual evolution. And as we learn through the words of the mentor, beloved Dr. Bezerra de Menezes, no one progresses unless they go through the earthly struggles. The struggles that the Santa Maria Maria's experienced were more spiritual and emotional in nature. They could not, they were having a hard time giving up their pride. Oh, but I'm better than this. I should not have to do this. God is the one who should come to me first. Because after all, I have been, quote unquote, good, done what I was supposed to do all my life. So the first question here that we need to think about and take into consideration and take into our very own hearts is how many shoulds is in the relationship that we establish with God. Are our conversations with God framed around strong impositions and requests that we make of God? Or do we already opened our hearts or have we already opened our hearts to the fact that God is all-knowing and as we learn in the Spirit's book is simply immutable that God loves us today as much as He will love us tomorrow and as much as He will love us when we become pure spirits in nature. Have we come to that understanding, to that awareness? Can we feel it in our hearts? Or are our prayers a list of shoulds and woulds and coulds? Let us observe ourselves so that we can learn from one another. We see in the chapter to tonight that the Santa Marias are still in the should, could, would type of mentality, trying to negotiate with God and nourishing still that sense of pride and superiority. However, we have another example to refer to in the chapter as well. The other example we have to discuss and refer to is the loving example of Rosangela. Rosangela has given up the armor of pride herself and she allows God 
to see her heart with all her internal difficulties and her tiny imperfections just like all of us. God already loves us no matter what and Rosangela already came to this awareness. So she, when she prays, as we saw during the God at Home that she was a part of, she prays from the heart. No formulaic words, no list of shoulds or coulds, just a shower of blessings that she feels from the Creator and then to the Creator. How beautiful is that? If we would like, we could listen again to Rosangela's words and to the mentor, Dr. Bezerra de Menezes' words to meditate upon what a more loving relationship with God would be like. Would you like, dear friends, to establish a more loving relationship with our Creator? If so, you could practice doing an affirmation for tonight, for this week. You could put your hand in your chest to feel the vibrations of your own voice and repeat to yourself, God loves me and I know it. God loves me and I know it. God loves me and I know it. Within the presence of God, I am able to overcome our struggles. Within the presence of God, I am able to overcome our struggles. Within the presence of God, I am able to overcome all struggles. And we will end our discussion tonight by borrowing some of the most beautiful words shared by the mentor, Dr. Bezerra de Menezes. What we are not yet able to do, Jesus, as a loving master, as the governor of our planet, will provide. So let us rest assured in the arms of the master. And when we experience conflicting forces, let us remind ourselves that it is okay to open our hearts to God. We are willing to open our hearts to God. We are willing to open our hearts to God. And with the gift of an open heart, we wish you many, many loving blessings. <laughs>